Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung, and welcome to Prophecy Today Weekend. So glad to have you along. We're going to the slopes up in northern Vermont to go to our first broadcast partner. That's Ken Timmerman. He called me and he said, Jimmy, I'm going to be on the slopes skiing. Can you take me up there? I said, I sure can, buddy. We'll come up there with you and uh, we'll try to take you right on the spot. He said, no, no, no. You call me and I'll do it from there. So I didn't get a free ski trip out of this, but we're so glad to have Ken Timmerman along with us. We'll get to him in just a moment with geopolitical events unfolding and his reports on those events. So glad you could give us an hour and a half. Well, I'm just assuming that that's what you're going to do because we need 90 minutes to get all of our broadcast partners on the scene here at my broadcast table and help us understand what is going on in this world. Winky Madad is going to give us great insight into the announcement about the indictment of Prime Minister Netanyahu. The Israeli Attorney General made an announcement that he would indict the Prime Minister. By the way, why could he not wait six weeks to do that after the election? Well, I'll talk to Winky about that in a moment. Glad to have you along. And uh, we want to tell everybody that we're going to be in Peoria, Illinois. By the way, that's WPEO country. That's the first radio station that started carrying us right here in the center part of the United States. I'm actually in Paducah and right after Paducah, Kentucky, right after this broadcast, we drive over to Peoria. We'll be at the El Vista Baptist Church Sunday morning, 1030, 6 p.m. in the evening then Monday and Tuesday at 7 p.m. with Prophecy Q&A before all three of the evening services. Come to study the prophetic word of God with us. What a time when we need to be talking about Bible prophecy. Well, let's do that now with Ken Timmerman. Hey, Ken, thanks uh, for not falling or hurting yourself and being available for this report. Hope you're having a good time. Uh, Jimmy, I'm having a great time, and uh, I appreciate you uh, reaching out to me here in northern Vermont, where it's uh, cold but sunny and beautiful. What uh, I want to talk first about is the mixed scorecard for the Trump-Kim summit. What do you think that's happened? Was it good, bad, or indifferent? Well, you know, the president's critics have always said they were so worried what he would do behind closed doors, that he would give away the store. And here we have an example of how Donald Trump negotiates. He knows when to walk away from the table, and that's what he did. Kim was asking for a full relaxation of U.S. and international sanctions as a precondition to further talks, and Trump said, forget about it. That's just not going to happen, and I want to make sure that you understand that's not going to happen, so I'm walking away. What's interesting, too, Jimmy, is that within hours of the president doing that and announcing it to the media, the North Korean foreign minister turned around and held a press conference, which he has never done before, saying, oh, well, we were ready to agree to total denuclearization after just a partial lifting of sanctions. So the message got through uh, to the North Korean leadership. This is part of an ongoing negotiation, so we'll see what round three is going to bring. But I think the president comes out with a stronger hand. He let the North Koreans know he doesn't need a deal at any cost. He needs a good deal. So you think there will be a round three. How far into the future will that happen? Uh, You know... It's anybody's guess. We saw here uh, two rounds within less than a year. So 
it, it sounds to me like the North Korean leadership is under some pressure and that they are uh, very, very eager to get sanctions relieved against them. Uh, my guess would be that they will come back sooner rather than later. When I say sooner, I mean probably three, four months. We'll be on top of that story with Ken Timmerman as well. Hey, talk to me about what's going on, the dogfight, a jet fighter dogfight over Kashmir. India and Pakistan are getting at it again. They haven't been this intense in quite a few years. Well, that's right. And this is a, a potentially deadly and devastating encounter. Kashmir is one of the world's hottest spots, not just because it's disputed between India and Pakistan, but because both countries are nuclear-armed states. They both have nuclear arsenals that are deliverable uh, with missiles and with aircraft. So this is a uh, potential for a really major crisis, a life-shattering crisis that could escalate quickly into a nuclear war. I think the leaders of both countries are clearly aware of that. They have not been uh, brandishing nuclear weapons at each other, but they have been sending, uh, you know, aircraft. You mentioned fighter jets being shot down on both sides. This is a very, very deadly conflict should it erupt, so we absolutely need to keep our eyes on it. People don't watch Kashmir. It's normally off the radar screen. It better be square on our radar screen now. I'm giving the opportunity for those listening to the broadcast to hear the analysis of Ken Timmerman on a pulpery of many stories. So we're not following a necessary theme, but going from story to story. I've only got a few moments before Ken freezes to death on those slopes there in northern Vermont, where he has been skiing all day. So we're so grateful he could give us a moment in his time of recreation. Talk to me about Bashar Assad's visit to Iran. It was a show of loyalty, it seems like, despite what efforts may be going on between the United States and Israel as it relates to Syria. Well, that's right. The U.S. and Israel are trying to push Iran out of Syria. And so Bashar Assad, the dictator of Syria, travels to uh, Tehran, his first trip there ever, I believe, and certainly uh, the first trip of a uh, senior uh, Syrian leader there during the Civil War, to cement that relationship. Very important for him to cement the relationship with the Islamic regime in Tehran. So Syria will have backup when it needs it in the future. He wants an ally. He's not sure how long he can count on the Russians. He would like to make sure he has Hezbollah in his country as a uh, sort of backup militia because he does not have enough people in his own military. So this was very important strategically for the Syrians and it's important for the Iranians because it gets them ever closer to Israel. They want to have that position in Syria because it puts them on the border with Israel. Things heating up in Libya, Ken, where the uh, forces loyal to the Russian-backed Haftar, they have gone forth killing many, even children, there in Libya. What's happening? This is such an avoidable situation. It's really something. First of all, Haftar is U.S. trained. Formerly, he was a U.S. ally. And under the Obama administration, the U.S. ostracized him. We pushed him aside. Huge mistake, in my view. And so now he turns to whoever's going to give him help, and it just happens to be the Russians. So you have Russia working closely with a Libyan military leader. Libya, again, is a crisis that never had to happen. We had won Gaddafi over. I've said on these airwaves, I was in Libya in 2004 when Gaddafi gave up his nuclear weapons. And he was all set to become a U.S. ally, and we just pushed him aside. Libya has become... 
become a center of chaos and of terrorism. So Haftar is, with Russian backing, is now trying to impose some kind of order on the eastern part of Libya, but he's doing it at a great expense among civilian lives. What about Libya? Is it ever going to be stable again? I, the one thing we can say good about Muammar Gaddafi was that he had a, such a strong hand, he kept stability between all those tribes there in Libya. Is that going to ever happen again? It's only going to happen with a strong man, perhaps like Haftar. The Libyans have shown themselves incapable of cooperating democratically with each other. They have two rival governments. Sometimes they've had three rival governments. A very, very strong Islamist base in the country, around Benghazi, but in other parts, too. And you mentioned the tribes. You know, Libya has been a tribal country for forever, and Gaddafi attained the tribes. Uh, so I don't see Libya calming down in the near future. And again, it is such a tragic thing to see happen. We had beaten it. We had beaten back Gaddafi. We had gotten rid of his weapons of mass destruction. He was a U.S. ally. He was helping us to fight al-Qaeda. And by the way, in the beginning of the Libyan-Syrian war, that's what he was telling anybody who would listen. He said, I am fighting al-Qaeda. And you know what? He was telling the truth. Well, we should have paid attention way back then. There's a Syrian activist that's making a very interesting statement. He's saying that the Muslim world has manipulated Islam to incite against Israel. Now, that ultimately, according to Bible prophecy, is the plan of the Islamic world to rise up and try to destroy the Jewish state of Israel. That's pretty much on target what this activist had to say. Well, that's right. And it's interesting to me to see a, a Syrian activist in particular you think of the opponents to Bashar Assad as being Islamists themselves. So this guy is saying, oh, no, the Islamists are actually misreading the Koran and uh, exaggerating the importance of Jerusalem in the Koran. So our listeners understand the prophet of Islam, Muhammad, never visited Jerusalem. His successors eventually captured it in the early part of uh, Muslim rule in the, the Middle East. But the only reason Jerusalem figures at all in the Koran is because Muhammad ascended into the seventh heaven on a horse called Barak, and I'm not making mm. this up, in a dream. That's Jerusalem's claim to fame in the Koran. It's pretty flimsy, frankly. So that's what this activist is reminding people of. He says, you know, Jerusalem is not all that important. We should not be putting all the emphasis on Israeli-Palestinian fight. That's what the Arab nationalists have tried to do for generation after generation. Israel was not that important to us. But obviously, the Islamists think that Israel is tremendously important, and they have put the capture of Israel uh, and the defeat of the Jewish state right at the top of their agenda. It sounds like me, Ken Timmerman, is reading right out of the prophetic word of God. He's not. He's talking about current events, which actually fit into that end-time scenario found in God's word, which will be fulfilled one day. That's why we go to Ken Temmerman wherever we have to go to find him, even on the slopes in northern Vermont, where he and his dear wife have had a, a day of recreation, a little bit of skiing there on the slopes. So glad you were not hurt today, Ken. That's reason at my age I'm not on the slopes. But uh, be careful yourself, and we'll talk again next week with more information you can help us on. Thanks so much, Jimmy. It's always my pleasure. God bless. We're going to take a break. When we come back, David Dolan's standing by. He's got a Middle East news update. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. 
just how close are we to the rapture of the church? Do events taking place in the Middle East and around the world have prophetic significance? In his latest book, Sound the Trumpets, Jimmy DeYoung examines these questions and explains just how near the rapture of the church could possibly be. By comparing four trends from prophetic scripture to current events taking place in the world today, Jimmy shows that the stage is set, every actor is in place, and the curtain is about to go up on the end-time scenario set forth in the scriptures. Sound the Trumpets is a must-read for every serious student of Bible prophecy. To order your copy of Jimmy DeYoung's new book, Sound the Trumpets, for only $15, call us today at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Or visit us on the World Wide Web at prophecytoday.com. Call today and make sure to get your copy of Sound the Trumpets. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I want to remind you that we're going to be in Peoria, Illinois. Now, we're on our way. Our broadcast operation is set up here in Paducah, Kentucky, as we travel over to Peoria. We're going to be at the El Vista Baptist Church Sunday and then Monday and Tuesday evenings, twice on Sunday, once in the morning, 1030, and then at 6 p.m. in the evening, Monday and Tuesday at 7 p.m., a three-day prophecy conference. This will be a great opportunity. While we're here in WPEO country, we'll be able to have time with uh, the people over there, Bob Ulrich and all of his gang, plus many other friends that we've made over the years as we've gone to Israel, looking forward to getting with them to have some fellowship. That's the El Vista Baptist Church, Peoria, it's on Sunday morning, 10.30, 6 p.m., Sunday night, Monday and Tuesday, at 7 p.m. with Q&A before. Well, as promised, here's David Dolan coming to our broadcast table now to receive from him our Middle East News update is key for us who are students of Bible prophecy to be able to understand what is going on in this region of the world is key for us understanding Bible prophecy as well. David, I'm sure the lead story has to be the fact that Donald Trump, ahead of the announced indictment against Prime Minister Netanyahu, came out and said that the Prime Minister was a great Prime Minister, great leader of Israel for many, many years. And I'm going to be talking with Winky Madad more in depth on this particular subject, but uh, boy, this is a blow into 
the Netanyahu re-election plans, and it may just derail him from being re-elected as prime minister, most likely, right? Well, it certainly doesn't help him at all, Jimmy. Um, although the Israeli public has been quite aware of this story for several years now, the police opened investigations and two Netanyahu, I think it was 2014, was the first case. Four different probes have been going on. One was dropped, case 2000 was dropped for lack of evidence, but three others are being recommended by the Attorney General, Mandelblit, to be prosecuted. Now, that's just a recommendation. It doesn't mean he will be prosecuted. There still be a hearing before any charges are formally filed. But yes, they're very, very serious charges involving corruption, bribery, mostly to do with billionaires receiving gifts and the Israeli media trying to influence coverage of the Netanyahu's. One involves his wife and son as well. That's the uh, Hollywood producer Arnold Milham. He's done Fight Club and Revenant, the movie that was uh, nominated for an Academy Award a few years ago. He supposedly gave $280,000 worth of gifts to the Netanyahu's over the past few years, including jewelry for Sarah Netanyahu and some uh, uh, cigars, uh, Cuban cigars, not just some, but lots of Cuban cigars to the prime minister, and Dom Perignon uh, champagne, which apparently his wife likes to drink, and uh, that in exchange for, again, some favors in his dealings, the billionaire's dealings with some Israeli media companies. But, Jimmy, these charges, again, have been known by the Israeli public, but Netanyahu argued that this was a witch hunt and that to bring the recommendation for indictment now instead of waiting till after the election, when there won't be any actual trials or any conclusion, just uh, brings more suspicions up in the public's mind. And, of course, the opposition uh, did run with it. Uh, Benny Gantz, uh, running to be prime minister, called on the prime minister on Thursday night to step down immediately, but it certainly doesn't help Netanyahu's election prospects. They went to court this week to try to prevent the indictment recommendations now to wait till after the election, but the attorney general went ahead anyway, and uh, it's very, very complex, but certainly leaves uh, more of a stain. You mentioned President Trump uh, saying the same sort of things, that this is a witch hunt against him, that this is his opponents just trying to bring him down in the timing of this in particular, that, you know, it didn't have to be brought up right now. So we'll see what the public says. But no polls have come out since then, Jimmy, but it probably will uh, lower his popularity in the opinion polls at least. I'm going to talk about uh, Jared Kushner's description of what the peace plan is going to focus on in a moment. But Mahmoud Abbas, president of the Palestinian Authority, is urging Europeans to play a greater role in the peace process. Do you think that's going to be an opening for the EU? Well, Jimmy, this peace plan is a puzzle to many, many people because there is virtually zero relationships right now between the Palestinians and the American administration. Hanan Ashrawi, the Palestinian official who actually got me fired from CBS some years ago, but she gave an interview earlier this year. She said the administration has, quote, zero credibility with the Palestinians, that they don't uh, think they have any of their interests. And what we're hearing about the details of this plan would indicate that the Palestinians will not be in any way supportive of it. That obviously opens the door for others. The EU is one. 
the Russians are another to step into that void. But basically, uh, Jared Kirshner gave an interview to the Sky Television Network in Britain earlier this week when he was in Abu Dhabi, and he said it's not going to be anything more than a uh, economic boon for the Palestinians. And the press reports say no Palestinian state would be created just more autonomous zones that uh, he did say that they want to see Gaza and the West Bank join together under one political authority. Well, the Palestinians themselves have been trying to achieve that for years and haven't succeeded in doing that. Other criticism, Jimmy, is that the three main proponents of this in the U.S. government are all American Jews, Kushner and David Friedman, the U.S. ambassador, Jason Greenblatt, the special envoy to the Middle East, all Jews, that they only have the interests of the Jewish people in mind. But uh, Kushner did say that $25 billion would be uh, designated for the Palestinians to help their economy, and up to $40 billion would be sent to Egypt, Jordan, and maybe even Lebanon, as they played a role in supporting this, and he just emphasized this would be economically beneficial for everyone. Well, sort of the same line that President Trump apparently took with the North Koreans, and we didn't see that go very far. So the Palestinians have already shot this down before it even comes out, Jimmy, and that certainly does open the door for less pro-Israel forces like the EU and the Russians to uh, jump into that void. But again, this plan hasn't been presented and won't be until sometime later this year. Very interesting that Kushner also added in that interview you referred to that the plan really was going to focus on the drawing of borders for the state of Israel. Well, the Bible gives those borders about 38 different places in the Bible. Talks about them. More on that when I take a look at the book in a moment. Well, talk to me about the Palestinian-Jordanian plan to take over what they refer to as East Jerusalem. Now, I know one city, it's called Jerusalem. There's an eastern, northern, southern, and western section of it. But what are they talking about? Well, they're talking about what they've always been talking about, which is the old city in particular. They want to see exclusive Palestinian control there. The Jordanians would like to see themselves back in that position, but they know that's not going to happen. They want to see Islamic control on the Temple Mount. And, Jimmy, we had more trouble there this week. We had the arrest of the PA governor of Jerusalem, Adnet Geith, on Tuesday evening in connection with the rioting that's been taking place. Uh, it's been quiet the past few days, but earlier we had rioting last month up on the Temple Mount concerning the Golden Gate. We discussed that last week. And, yes, they want to see their the Palestinians strengthened in the whole region. Uh, of course, Kirshner's plan doesn't include Palestinian capital in the city of Jerusalem itself. You said uh, redrawing borders, but... All the press reports say it would leave most Israeli settlements in place. Those areas would come under Israeli sovereignty, and then the areas that are mostly Palestinian populated would come under Palestinian sovereignty totally. Well, this is not going to satisfy the Palestinians at all. There's no question about it. They want a state that includes at least a half of Jerusalem That's not going to happen. The new political stars, Gantz and the others, are also saying there's not going to be a redivision of Jerusalem, so it's just not going to happen. But Kirshner is apparently hoping that if enough U.S. aid comes into the region, there may be a change of heart there, but I wouldn't expect that. David, the United States Congress sees the United States recognition of Israeli control over the Golden Heights a slam dunk. Boy, that'd be great for Israel, not too good for Syria. Your thoughts, 
Well, it's Republican uh, senators, uh, Ted Cruz, one of them, that are proposing that, and some representatives, no Democrats. The White House has been silent on the issue, and they are not likely to back it right now with all the trouble going on. But it certainly would be a boon for Israel. It's something that Netanyahu has asked President Trump to uh, to go through with. So we'll see where that goes. But probably it's not going to go anywhere. David Dolan, the man who covers the Middle East, and it's key information that David gives us each and every week. We need to stay on top of what is going on in that region of the world. We do that with our longtime buddy, David Dolan, who's a longtime journalist in that important region of our world. David, thank you so very much. Uh, We appreciate your report. We'll talk to you again next week. Welcome, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, Winky Madad is standing by. Winky has worked in the political arena there in Israel. We're going to talk to him about the possible indictment of the prime minister and a fifth mosque on the Temple Mount. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Have you ever wanted to visit Israel and trace the footsteps of Jesus? With Rick and Jim's VIP trips, you'll see Israel past, present, and prophetic. Our VIP trips are typically smaller groups of 8 to 12 people. This smaller group size allows us to spend more one-on-one time answering your questions and personalizing our tour. It is a very intimate experience. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time not to only visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. We can also customize our trip for your family or small group. Please call Joshua Travel today and see how we can make your trip extra special. Call 423-821-3635 or visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. We're on our way to Peoria, Illinois. We're going to be at a church in the area, El Vista Baptist Church there in Peoria. We're going to be there Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday, a three-day prophecy conference. Hope you can come. We have many friends in Peoria, WPEO Radio. This is the land where Bob Ulrich and all of his team there at the radio station put our broadcast on the air. We're so thankful they've been doing it. In fact, uh, this is the first station that we went on the air with in our hour and a half Saturday program. So thank you so much, Peoria. And we'd love to see you at the El Vista Baptist Church Sunday at uh, 10.30 in the morning, 6 p.m. in the evening, Monday and Tuesday, both at 7 p.m. Prophecy Q&A before each of the sessions in the evening, not the morning, but in the evening. See you in Peoria. We're on our way there. Well, let's get to Winky Madad, breaking news in Israel. The number one headline, Israeli Attorney General intends to indict the Prime Minister on bribery, fraud, and breach of trust. And so when we want to get the inside information, we go to Winky Madad. Winky, is that a serious indictment, or what's going on? Tell us the extent of the seriousness of this move by the Attorney General. Well, first of all, Jimmy, in many countries around the world, by law, you cannot charge a sitting 
prime minister or president. So it's very unusual that this step is being taken, but we are in Israel, and therefore most rules do not apply. The second is that this has been going on for about, I think, about two and a half years, Jimmy, and it's been a very long process, and it's become very political and very public rather than uh, a matter of legalistic or judicial considerations. And the third point I want to make out is that while the elections are only about just over a month away, uh, the process that has now started is that Mr. Netanyahu still has the ability to get an appointment for an interview before the charges are put before the court themselves. Uh, this week, the charges were only an intention of the Attorney General, which means the trial will not start maybe for close to half a year or more, which means that the Attorney General has interfered with the elections without the public being able to know, well, is he correct or is he not correct? Is Mr. Netanyahu a criminal? And of what uh, degree? Or maybe he's innocent completely. And yet, during the elections... They can vote this way or that way based on something they really don't know. Well, that's an excellent intro to my question about how will it affect the elections. You're saying it's going to have a major effect on the election of the next prime minister. Jimmy, we've had a small but very noisy and amplified by the media protest that's been going out outside the attorney general's office, his house, and a synagogue uh, on occasions, led by several far uh, left-wing uh, radicals, uh, demanding that he charge Mr. Netanyahu. Now that, of course, has been trumpeted in the press as popular protest, as free expression, but basically it's pressuring a public official to do this or that. When Mr. Netanyahu comes out and tries to defend himself, and again, I, uh, I don't know if he's guilty or not. My gut uh, feeling is he's not, but that has nothing to do with what I'm saying, is that he's been accused of interfering, while these others are not. So the, the, the public pressure and picture and portrayal of Mr. Zanyalo is very negative, which, is, of course, will affect the election campaign then, indeed, will the Prime Minister resign before the election, or will he wait and see what happens in the election? He denies that he is guilty. Can he win even the indictment if it should come to pass? Well, Jimmy, um, look, it's just exploded, should I say, even though it's been, uh, of course, long awaited. We do know that several of the uh, other parties have said, we will not join a coalition if Mr. Netanyahu is, is at its head if he's under indictment. Of course, being under indictment, Jimmy, sounds very bad, but percentage-wise, a lot more people beat a rap rather than get convicted on them. And so what's happening here is... Whether intended or not, I'm, I'm not going to say that Attorney General Mandelblit had this in his mind. But he's been under tremendous pressure himself to supposedly uphold the rule of law. What he's doing, though, is interfering in the democratic process. You can't charge someone and, and cast doubt on his character and his integrity just before an election and say, well, listen, when the trial is finished, we'll know what happens. If the trial is finished, it, it could be that he's not guilty. 
and he might have suffered because at, uh, at the polls because people say I don't want to vote for a, a, a perhaps a criminal. He had more than enough time to wait another six weeks or so and then charge. Yeah, that's the reason that I'm concerned about this going on. It looks like there's a backroom activities going on that has caused all of this to come to the front publicly here at this particular time, less than uh, six weeks away from the time of the next election. Well, I want to focus on one other item with you, Winky. Another mosque on the Temple Mount. It's number five, and it's at the Eastern Gate. Now, just remind everybody why there was a a conflict there at the Eastern Gate between the Palestinians and the Israelis. What did the Palestinians want? What do the Israelis want? Why did they close down the Eastern Gate? And what does it mean as it relates to putting up another mosque, number five, on the Temple Mount? Okay, Jimmy, to start off, uh, our listeners have to understand the Muslims, through the Waqf, the Jordanian government, and the Palestinian Authority, claim that the entire 144 dunams of area, which we, you and I know as Mount Moriah or the Temple Mount, is one big mosque. We dispute that. We say that this is a, a compound which has school buildings, libraries, and one mosque, which is Al-Aqsa, and a monument over the rock on which Abraham sacrificed, almost sacrificed Isaac, uh, and all other events, uh, including the temple uh, altar. They, in order to extend their authority, have been busy building mosques. There's one underground in the south, under Al-Aqsa. There's another one uh, near the gate where all tourists come in now. And they've been trying to upset the status quo, which is Israel's official government policy, which means that nothing changes up there since 1967. And as you have just uh, uh, made clear through your question, a lot has changed up there. Mm -hmm. The specific gate was built by the Byzantines. In other words, before the Muslims even came to Jerusalem, and it's been shut for ages and ages, centuries and centuries, from the outside. And since 2003, it's been off-limits to uh, the Muslims who have been found to have set up a Hamas learning group inside the halls uh, down the steps when you go to the gate from the inside. So this then is why it's qualified in their minds as a mosque. Why don't the Israelis want that to happen? They just do not want to change the status up there? Is that basically their, their decision? Well, I don't know what the Israeli authorities really want up here. I would like to think that even a synagogue could be set up there. It's out of sight. You've probably walked by it several times. You have to walk way downstairs in order to get it. It's off on the side. It's right. It's built into the wall itself, and it has two double walls that could serve as a woman's section and a men's section. But that's just me talking. In any case, it's not a mosque. It was never a mosque. No prayers had ever been said there for 1,500 years or more. And to turn it into a mosque is simply a matter of challenging Israel's very lenient and uh, this, uh, Jewish discriminatory uh, policy, which says only Muslims can pray up there, Jews and Christians and others can only walk around as tourists. Somebody said that, and I think I read it in a report of some kind, 
that this all came about because of a secret deal between the Israeli government and the Jordanians. You know anything about that? I would, well, first of all, the Jordanians have enlarged the WAC representation membership to include members from the Palestinian Authority, which is problematic. I think, to clarify what you said, the real danger uh, that they see is that uh, with the Trump peace plan, something will happen in Jerusalem, and they want to make sure that they're holding on to the Temple Mount as much as possible. I doubt that Jordan would give in to Israel. In fact, I think we even discussed this on the program at the time about two years ago. Remember the cameras that were the surveillance cameras that were supposed to be up there? Uh Jordan agreed. agreed with Kerry. The American Secretary of State, they gave the word that they would agree that Israel would be able to put up surveillance uh, cameras, and they backed down when the uh, Palestinian Authority walked, said, no way, we don't want anything in here at all. So I think Jordan actually is is the weakest link in in, in this chain. But uh, we do know for sure, according to the ancient Jewish prophets, there will be a temple. Messiah will come back, it says over there in Zechariah chapter 6 and verse 12, and, and he'll build a temple on that temple mount and rule and reign from there. So ultimately, we know God's plan for the Jewish people will be fulfilled. As you say, Jimmy, I'm, a, I'm a, I think a little bit younger than you. <laughs> <laughs> but in any case, uh, you and I have been reading the prophets for many, many decades. And even if it's not religious in that sense, it comes true. Whatever we see in the prophets, whether it takes a year or ten years or a century, God's will is being revealed, and that's a fact. That's a historical fact. So uh, I would have to agree with you on that one, quoting Zechariah. Absolute. It is absolute. God's word is, and it will be fulfilled. Winky Madad, our broadcast partner, helping us to understand the intended indictment against the Prime Minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, and the situation on the Temple Mount. Winky, thank you so very much for your insight and input. Appreciate it. We'll talk again soon. Jimmy, thank you for having me on the program. Goodbye to you and the listeners. Well, John Rood is the man who covers the European Union for us lived many years there in Brussels, which is the headquarters for the European Union. But, John, as we come together for our conversation this week, I'm focused mostly on the Middle East as it relates to the European Union. In fact, let me begin with this. Mahmoud Abbas, who is the president of the Palestinian Authority, is making this statement to the Europeans that he wants them to play a greater role in the peace process and even recognize Palestine as a Palestinian state. Give us the details. Yes, Palestinian Authority and President Abbas come out with a statement for the European Union to have a greater role in the peace process. And this is really a necessity because they have shunned the United States. The United States is, of course, declared Jerusalem the capital of Israel, cut hundreds of millions of dollars. And so they're feeling that the United States is not a good broker for any type of deal. They're going back to the usual party line here and basically telling the European Union they need to recognize the state of Palestine. There are several EU countries that have done so, but the largest ones, France, UK, Germany, Spain, Italy, so forth, they have not. So this is, again, another way to leverage against the United States. That's what's behind this. 
And I got to have an opportunity to talk to you about Syria and what's going on there. It looks like uh, the president, Bashar Assad, is holding on to Syria at this point in time, coming to an end of the civil war. But boy, it's giving uh, a real heartache and headache uh, to European Union strategic plans as it relates to the Middle East. Talk to us about that. The European Union is in a fix to deal with Syria. There's been a terrible war. It's killed hundreds of thousands of people. It's displaced half of the population of Syria, 22 million. So this also creates the migration issue with the European Union. Coming up now, the official position of the EU is not to rebuild Syria until there's a political transition. Then the other side, they all want to have the uh, funding. The European Union is an enormous funder. They have uh, pledged um, a billion euros, well over a billion dollars, to assistance in Syria. And they're one of the largest donors in the world. So are they going to have a political transition first before the aid and rebuild or are they going to succumb to pressure to rebuild before there's a political transition? Yeah, both very important questions. We'll stay on top of that as you continue to report on the European Union. One final thought, there's going to be a summit, as I understand it, between the European Union leaders and the Arab leaders, and they want to be focused on security and migration. What do we know? Yes, this is the very, very first uh, European Union-Arab summit. Really, the migration crisis has created this. So the meeting is in Sharm el-Sheikh, Sinai Peninsula, and the European Commission president has come out and saying, paraphrasing, simply the fact that we're having this meeting at all is the message. And the same thing with the EU foreign policy chief. Basically, this summit all by itself is a deliverable. So... The EU is looking for stability, especially the migration issue. They're willing to pay for it. They expect that they come out with money to deal with the migration issue, but there's not a serious expectation for anything beyond that. It's simply the fact that this meeting even occurred, which is historical. It's uh, absolutely historical. And this almost sounds like a Middle East news update, but it's not. It's an update on the European Union. When you look at Bible prophecy, European Union infrastructure for the revived Roman Empire plays a key role in the end times as it relates to Israel and their eternal existence. John, thank you so very much, my good friend. We'll talk next week and and find out maybe the follow-up on these stories and others. Thank you, my good friend. Thank you. Absolutely important. John Rood with his European Union update, a key region of the world. We need to stay on top of all the political activities there as they set the stage for the prophetic scenario that is found in God's Word to be fulfilled. Well, right now we're going to one of our broadcast partners. We don't use him every week, but we use him often. His name is Mike Gendron. He has a ministry proclaiming the gospel, and his main focus is, as Mike would say, the largest evangelical field in the world where people need to come to know Christ as Lord and Savior, and that would be the Catholic Church and all who claim to be Catholic, which is basically about one-fourth of the entire population of the world. 
And Mike, I was going to talk about this at the end of our conversation, but let me just bring it out up front here. You have a DVD entitled Hard Questions for Good Catholics. Now, why is that the title of it, and what's it all about? Well, I actually did this message to encourage evangelicals to ask Catholics these hard questions. I modeled it after the ministry of our Lord Jesus, who asked the Jews hard questions about their faith. And this uh, DVD is an excellent DVD to start sharing with Catholics, because there's a lot of confusion and turmoil and chaos going in the Catholic Church right now. They really don't know who to trust. And so it's a great opportunity to begin asking these questions. Why are you a Catholic? Why do you remain in the Catholic Church with all the scandal going on? Why do you believe in purgatory when the Bible says the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin? So these are just great conversational questions to engage Catholics, to challenge them in their unbelief. And by the way, I do believe that's an excellent type of evangelism asking questions. They open up the mind of the recipient of your questions, and of course that gives then you a launch pad to be able to give the gospel to them. Now, Mike, if somebody wanted to get a copy of that DVD, how would they do that? They would simply go to our website, proclaimingthegospel.org, or they could call us at 817-379-5300. That's great. Proclaimingthegospel.org. You need to get a copy of that, study it, and then go out and start asking questions. That's, that's the way to open up the minds of anybody, basically, Catholic or not. Get them to talking about eternity and why you're doing this and what should you be doing, etc. Great, great concept you've come up with there, Mike. Well, let me uh, get into really what I wanted to talk about, and that launches off of what you said. There's so much chaos out there. The Pope recently held an unprecedented conference, a summit somewhat, there in Rome with all the bishops and all the cardinals from around the world. Talk to us about that. What was the main focus? I mean, it was on the sexual activities of the priest and even up to the cardinal level as well. But why did he, the Pope, call this conference, this summit, at this time? Well, the scandal has really gotten out of hand, and some of the higher-ranking cardinals have actually been accused now of sexual abuse. And at this recent concave, Cardinal Marx revealed that the predator priests were able to continue abusing children because the files on their crimes were either destroyed or they even never existed. And so we see these abusers were actually moved to other parishes, and they were able to continue their sexual abuse on these innocent children at different parishes. So it's really amazing when you look at the scandal, you have to ask the question, Jimmy, which is the greater crime? Is it the abuse of these young altar boys, or is it the cover-up of the bishops to hide these pedophile priests and to move them to different areas to continue their activity? And so there's a great scandal going on in the Catholic Church, and it really doesn't stop there. There's a recent book out called In the Closet of the Vatican, and in this book it says that 80% of Roman Catholic priests are homosexuals. And the author of the book conducted over 1,500 interviews with 41 cardinals, 52 bishops, and monsignors, and also some papal ambassadors. And that's where they came up with this number that 80% 
of Roman Catholic priests are homosexual. And so the question really arises is how can Roman Catholic parents allow their children to be altar servers and to be left alone with these Roman Catholic priests? Well, as I understand also, there's a report out that there's been activity between some of the priests and some of these other leaders of the Catholic Church with nuns. That came out at this summit as well, did it not? Yes, it did, and probably one of the most recent news broadcasts was that Cardinal Pell, who's actually the third most powerful man in the Vatican, and he was Australia's most senior Catholic cardinal. He was found guilty of raping two choir boys and molesting others, and so it really goes all the way to the top now. And the interesting thing about Cardinal Pell is he was actually chosen by Pope Francis to be the Vatican treasurer. And so we don't know if Pope Francis knew about his history before he elevated him to such a high position, but we also see Cardinal Theodore McCarrick. He was the Cardinal of uh, Washington, D.C., and he's been expelled from the Roman Catholic priesthood. So it really does reach to the highest levels of the Vatican. I know, Mike, in the 80s there was uh, media attention to this situation, but it's really expanded now. Here we are some 25, 30 years later, and now it's it's known around the world. Boston Globe kind of broke the story, but it's in almost the front page of many media operations, isn't it? Well, it really is, and you're right. Boston Globe issued a, an amazing um, news story on it, which they actually made into an Oscar Academy Award-winning film called Spotlight, and I really encourage everybody to watch that film because it really does an accurate representation of the problem in the Catholic Church. But we always like to turn to the Bible as our authority, and we know that celibacy is not in the Bible. In fact, we see in 1 Corinthians 9.5, the Apostle Paul writing, don't we have a right to take along a believing wife, even as the rest of the Apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? So, we see that the early apostles, and they all took along believing wives, and the Catholic Church would say that their bishops are successors of the apostles, but yet they deny the Word of God as their authority. Passage also in Mark, I believe it's chapter 2, when Jesus came out of the synagogue there in Capernaum. He went over to Peter's house and had to physically help the mother-in-law of Peter, supposedly the first pope, Uh, to come out of a illness that she was involved in. So uh, there we see it. Uh, The Pope, supposed leader of the Catholic Church, Peter, had a mother-in-law. He must have been married. So uh, this is probably a wrong direction they made in the 11th century. Well, just one final question for you, Mike. Is this all evidence that the Catholic Church is a part of at least the false church? I'm not saying the Catholic Church is the false church, but they surely are going to be a part of that, which is described in Revelation 17. Yes, it is an apostate church, and I'm not saying that based on my opinion. If you look at the Council of Trent, that is where the Catholic Church officially and dogmatically departed from the faith of the Apostles by condemning born-again Christians with over 100 anathemas. And so we can say by the authority of Scripture that it is an apostate church, and we know that there will be a false church that will call itself a Christian church that will one day worship a man claiming to be Christ, and that will be the Antichrist. And so, yes, this is the formation of the global church. 
But, Jimmy, I'd like to just quickly state uh, a personal experience I had. It goes back 17 years when all the Roman Catholic bishops convened at the Fairmont Hotel in Dallas, Texas. And I went down there in June of that year to engage Roman Catholic bishops with the gospel. And while I was there, there were victims of Roman Catholic priestly abuse. I remember talking to one mother whose 13-year-old son had been abused by a priest and later committed suicide. And so as I engaged her, I told her about the high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, who would never leave her, never forsake her, never cause any abuse in her life. And she thanked me for sharing that, but she ended with, I was born a Catholic, and I'm going to die a Catholic. Mm. And it just broke my heart that Mm. here her own son is a victim of the Roman Catholic priest. She loses him to suicide, and yet she's unwilling to leave this religion. I think that shows the power of religious indoctrination. And it also shows the power of how she could have come to know Christ as Lord and Savior, but she rejected that opportunity that uh, the Lord allowed you to be a part of. Folks, you need to be asking hard questions for good Catholics. And in order to be able to know those questions, you might want to get a copy of Mike and his ministry proclaiming the gospel there DVD entitled Hard Questions for Good Catholics. Go to ProclaimingTheGospel.org. You can order it there from their bookstore. Mike, thank you so much. Great information. We need to stay on top of these things. Thank you for helping us to do that. Well, thanks for the opportunity, Jimmy. Blessings to you. We're going to take a break, and when we come back on the other side, David James will have a conversation with me, our weekly conversation. You do not want to miss that. Keep the dial set wherever it is. You're listening to Prophecy Today. That's up next. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. We move into our last half hour. Now, I ask you for three half hours, 90 minutes. I do that each week so we can talk to our broadcast partners, get information about current events around this world, and help you then to see how all of these current events are seemingly fitting into the prophetic scenario that's found in God's Word. We've got a half hour left on this broadcast David James will come Mike's side in a moment. We'll talk about President Trump making a statement that he wants to decriminalize homosexuality. You need to hear this report. Very interesting details we're going to bring to your attention. By the way, before we go to David, may I suggest you go to my website, prophecytoday.com. On the left-hand column, if you'll scroll down, you'll find my poll question. Love to have you answer the question. Here's the question today. Do political decisions made by President Trump, for example, the U.S.-North Korean talks and the peace plan for the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, do these political decisions seem to be playing into the end-time prophetic scenario that is found in God's Word, as was foretold would happen in Revelation seventeen seventeen, when the Lord said political leaders will make political decisions to set prophecy in place? Now, that's the poll question. Please go and answer it if you will. And by the way, while you're there at my website, 
Go to Joshua Travel. Find out about our tours upcoming this next year. Love to have you come and go along with us. That website address again, prophecytoday.com. We now bring to these microphones David James. He's our broadcast partner that I have a conversation with each and every week. We endeavor to focus on an issue that would be important to the body of Christ, the church. They must understand biblically this particular issue that we choose to discuss each and every week so that they'll have a proper walk with the Lord on a daily basis. Well, we catch up with Dave back in the United States after a couple of weeks of teaching with Word of Life in Uganda. But David, as I understand it, you're going to be returning to Uganda two more times this year as you begin working yet with another ministry as a professor. That's right. It's another exciting development, I guess another addition to my schedule. It's My schedule's getting about as full as it can possibly be. I don't have too many more opportunities to add uh, other ministries in, but this is an opportunity to work with a National Theological College and Graduate School, which has partnered with Word of Life in Uganda as a teaching site. And in fact, it's a, a school that provides bachelor's and graduate degrees to those in ministry ministry in a modular format in Africa, Northern Africa, uh, Central Africa now, and in various locations around the Middle East. It looks like beginning in July, I will be joining them as one of their adjunct professors, first in Uganda, and then we'll see where it goes from there. David James, have Bible, will travel. <laughs> well, that's great. We're praising the Lord for this new opportunity to teach the Word of God, especially to young people. David, about a week ago, many news outlets began reporting that the Trump administration is launching a global campaign to decriminalize homosexuality. What can you tell us about some of the initial reports that came out? Well, I had seen the headline for that, I think, first on the Drudge Report, and I think it was the next day that you sent me a link to an article actually on the Jerusalem Post, and the title of their article was Trump Launches Global Campaign to Decriminalize Homosexuality. And actually, uh, the Jerusalem Post seemed to be sort of taking credit for this in, in some ways, because their subtitle was a report from the Jerusalem Post on death penalty for Iranian gays played a role in ending criminalization of gays. And then they go on to say that a report by the Jerusalem Post had detailed the Iranian regime's public hanging of a man based on a law against gays, and that the Trump administration of Tuesday of last week would be launching this campaign. And in fact, they also note that uh, U.S. Ambassador to Germany, Richard Grinnell, who is the administration's most high-profile openly gay official, told the Post on Tuesday this is his quote, 71 countries criminalize homosexuality and eight will put you to death for being gay. And so the Trump administration is launching a new push with our European allies to end this human rights outrage. Now, it's interesting, the next day, NBC News reported that when President Trump was asked about this by a reporter, he seemed to not know a whole lot about it. So it seemed like there still may be some confusion, or at least there was in those early days. You know, I also ran across another article, David, that I passed along to you that Vice President Mike Pence was going to back the president's plan. Talk about that with me. 
Well, that's right. And this kind of uh, highlights, I think, for our listeners, the process that you and I go through as we prepare for this. It's actually from the Washington Blade, which is calls itself America's LGBT news source. So the LGBT community was also reporting on this, and their article said that Pence backs Trump as well. They said that Vice President Mike Pence backs the newly announced Trump administration global initiative calling on nations to decriminalize homosexuality. And it struck, from what I've read, it struck a number of people as odd, both in the LGBT community as well as outside, that this was actually seemed to run counter and seemed to be odd that Mike Pence, who is an outspoken evangelical, why he would uh, go along with this. So it's a, it's a, an on ongoing and developing story for sure. Yes, and after digging deeper into this whole thing, you gave me a phone call to let me know there seems to be more going on with this whole story than someone might expect from just reading some of the headlines. And so we had a good long conversation, a part of our process, as you've just told everybody, and and we came to a conclusion. That's right. Well, as I was digging into this, as you noted, uh, I ran across more articles and did quite a bit of reading on this and and came across an article by the Washington Post uh, that came out just three days ago, I think, and the title of their article was The Trump Administration Will Push to Decriminalize Homosexuality Worldwide, and then the title asked the question, surprised, and then they go on to say, here's why. And so the reason this raised the eyebrows is because certainly the Trump administration, uh, when it comes to cultural and moral issues, and particularly with regard to the LGBT community, he has not been favorable to them in general. He has not observed June Pride Month, which is a departure from, for certain, a departure from what uh, President Obama did. He has appointed a couple of conservative Supreme Court justices. He's also involved with voting against the United Nations resolution to condemn the use of death penalty against homosexuality. Now, I'm not saying saying that is right or wrong. I'm just saying that he doesn't have that particular agenda. So then they went on to suggest that this may have been a political, a geopolitical ploy and part of an agenda to focus on countries that are anti-gay and include criminal sanctions, including the death penalty. And what you find is, if you look at a map of those countries, it's mostly across the Middle East and through uh, northern Africa with a little bit down south into Africa. So the point is this. This seems that it may be a strategy to limit immigration to pull European nations in alongside the United States because our allies in Europe have tended to have very open immigration policies. So it seems that he may be thinking that tying uh, the homosexual issue to immigration and to turn public sentiment against those countries that would otherwise be letting immigrants in, including the United States. So this is a much bigger picture, it seems. Yes, it does seem that is the case. And really, one of the big questions that I had was that if this is largely a geopolitical strategy, then what was in it for the U.S. ambassador to Germany, 
who was the highest profile openly gay person in the Trump administration, and he is the point man for the president on this issue. Well, that's true. And as you and I were discussing it, what occurred to me is I think this is ultimately a losing proposition for uh, President Trump and Mike Pence when it comes to their conservative evangelical base for support. But if you think about it, this is actually the U.S. ambassador to Germany is in a win-win situation. There's really no downside for this. A lot of people may not realize this, but there are LGBT gay homosexual constituents that President Trump has, and uh, it seems that this ambassador to Germany is one of those. So this would be in keeping with his ideology concerning these Muslim nations and concerns about immigration, especially with uh, Germany's Chancellor Angela Merkel uh, being very open on this, and then again being gay. Uh, he has a two-pronged win on this and will probably strengthen his position with President Trump. And, in fact, I saw one article that noted that he may be looking to be a U.S. ambassador to the United Nations. Well, yes, and that's uh, passed by the way because they've named this ambassador to Canada to fill that position if she's approved by the United States Congress. But, David, a lot bothered me on this. As I first thought about it, President Trump It seemed to me he was changing course from what seemed to be his direction on cultural and moral issues, and especially when I saw that Mike Pence was on board. But if this is just part of his administration's international strategy, I have to be honest, that bothers me almost as much. Well, I I would agree with you. I think that when we get into the politics, and this is a danger of being in politics, you get into the politics of compromise rather than standing for conviction, then anything can go up for grabs in order to further uh, a political agenda. And I understand, even if you, uh, if it's to protect the United States, but you can't play games with these things. These are moral issues. It would be no more right to play games with this than it would be to use the abortion issue as a political football in order to gain an advantage, a political advantage, even on the world stage. And and it's just a stepping stone, and the people who are involved with this become pawns in a bigger political strategy. I think it's a serious issue. I do believe it is as well, David. Well, let's get to our bottom line, as we always do. What would you say are some of the main takeaways for us as believers in Christ from this whole situation? Well, a few practical things. One, I would say be very careful about drawing conclusions based on headlines and Facebook memes. There's usually much more to the story, so we need to spend time to dig deeper. And if something doesn't sound quite right, if there are red flags, and don't jump to conclusions. Uh, for example, concerning the vice president's apparent quick and dramatic shift on his views, I don't think he shifted at all. And the last uh, chapter has not been written on this whole thing. Don't be too quick to forward and repost things just for their shock value. Uh, You don't want to be passing on bad information. As I mentioned just a moment ago, don't play games with moral issues and don't compromise in order to achieve other goals. This is what causes politicians to be among the least trusted group in our country, maybe behind lawyers. A lot of politicians are both. And then finally, I would say, as believers, we need to be on guard when it comes to shifting cultural norms when they come into conflict with the Word of God. 
you know, the church tends to trail culture by 30 to 40 years, but it does change. And the Bible is very clear when it comes to the issue of homosexual behavior. David, those are some great takeaways on this discussion that we had today. And I'm glad that you reveal to those who are listening to our conversations every week that we do spend time, a lot of research, discussion together before we come to this broadcast table behind these microphones to look at an issue that may be key and a biblical approach is proper for each and every one of us who know Christ as Savior. Thank you for all of your hard work. Appreciate it. Thank you for calling me and interacting with me about this as well. And next week, since you're in town, I'm talking about the United States, of course. Before you go back to Uganda, we'll have another conversation. Thanks, Jimmy. It's great to be with you again. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, I'm going to pull all of the conversations with my broadcast partners together. We'll open the Bible, take a look at what God's Word has to say about these issues. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. Have you ever wanted to visit Israel and trace the footsteps of Jesus? With Rick and Jim's VIP trips, you'll see Israel past, present, and prophetic. Our VIP trips are typically smaller groups of 8 to 12 people. This smaller group size allows us to spend more one-on-one time answering your questions and personalizing our tour. It is a very intimate experience. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time not to only visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. We can also customize our trip for your family or small group. Please call Joshua Travel today and see how we can make your trip extra special. Call 423-821-3635 or visit us online at joshuatravel.com. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. On today's broadcast, I had some great conversations with my broadcast partners who have given us key information on current events, events that may well be setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. By the way, if you missed any of these reports, You can go to my website, prophecytoday.com, go to Prophecy Today Radio Network, 
you'll be able to listen to each and every one of these reports. My broadcast partner is giving me details on the current events. That address again, prophecytoday.com, Prophecy Today Radio Network. And be sure to pass along this information to a friend of yours or someone that you know would be interested in hearing these reports. Well, now let me take a moment to give you my prophetic perspective on these reports given to us by our broadcast partners. We went to Ken Timmerman. He talked about with me the mixed scorecard for the Trump-Kim summit that took place in Hanoi, Vietnam. We understand that North Korea is a small nation, but it has a big part to play in the end-time scenario that's found in Bible prophecy. When you look at Revelation chapter 16 and verse 12, you see that coming out of the Far East, and that is made possible by the river Euphrates being dried up, that makes way for the kings of the East to come into Israel for the purpose of going to Jerusalem and being there when the Messiah, Jesus Christ, comes back to the earth. Now that makes North Korea then a part of those kings of the East a key player in the end times. I was on a national broadcast yesterday, and I even talked about the possibility of North Korea being able to take a nuclear weapon, put it over the airspace of the United States, then exploding that nuclear weapon, which would cause an EMP, an electric magnetic pulse, which could cause horrific damage to the United States. Now, at the time of that explosion and the EMP, it would not actually kill too many people. But because of our electric grid going down, all of our electronic devices being destroyed are putting us back in the 1800s. Within one year, we could see the mass majority of the United States dying because of that EMP. And that would be the reason we do not find the United States in Bible prophecy. Some of that is speculative, but when you put all the information together, you come up with a conclusion that helps you understand how the end times could play out. David Dolan had a Middle East news update for us. We talked about the Trump peace plan and Jared Kushner, the son-in-law to the president, making the statement that this peace plan is simply for setting the borders of Israel. First of all, the peace plan is going to be a hard sell. And secondly, no peace plan that mankind could come together with can actually set the borders for the state of Israel. The Bible in 38 locations talks about those biblical borders. And let me remind you what Israel is today is only 10% of what God will make Israel at that time when the Lord comes back to the earth, the Messiah, will then give the biblical borders to the Jewish people, which would include half of Egypt, all of Israel, all of Lebanon, all of Jordan and Syria, three-quarters of Iraq, three-quarters of Saudi Arabia, and all of Kuwait. That's ten times what the Jewish people have today. God's Word is absolute. The biblical borders are in the Word of God, not in some kind of a peace process. Winky Madad talked to us about the Attorney General of Israel with his intentions to indict 
Prime Minister Netanyahu. Now, this whole thing's been going on now for about two and a half years. Why could he not wait six more weeks until after the elections to make this announcement? Actually, it was a political announcement, and it puts the electoral system in Israel in jeopardy because of the impact it's going to make on the prime minister's election efforts to become the next prime minister of Israel. Remember, the political does set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. John Rood had his European Union update, which really sounded more like a Middle East news update, talking about Mahmoud Abbas, president of the Palestinian Authority, wanting the European Union to get involved with the peace process. That process will ultimately result in the revival of the Roman Empire, Daniel 7, verse 7, the ten horns. And then in verse 8 of Daniel 7, it talks about the little horn, the Antichrist, who confirms a peace agreement at the beginning. In fact, starts the clock ticking on the seven-year tribulation period. And so the European Union, at least the infrastructure for the revived Roman Empire, will play a key role in the end times, especially in the peace process. Mike Gendron gave us a report about Pope Francis's summit on the sexual scandal in the Catholic Church, and this all took place in Rome, Italy. But it's simply a precursor to what we're going to find in Rome during the first half of the tribulation period. That will be a one-world false church that will be headed up by the Antichrist and a major player in that first three and a half years of the tribulation period. And David James brought to our attention here at the broadcast table that the Trump decision to decriminalize homosexuality may not be what you think it is at first glance. However, it is bad optics for a Christian leader. And I'm referring to Mike Pence, who is the vice president. Remember Luke chapter 17 says, as it was in the days of Lot, that's the way it's going to be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. In the days of Lot, homosexuality running rampant, and that's what we're seeing happening in our world today to decriminalize homosexuality. I'm not sure that's the right move. You know, if you'll stop to think about it for a moment, you'll see how many of these stories are coming about because of a political decision. Again, remember Revelation 17, 17, God puts into the hearts of political leaders to make decisions that will fulfill Bible prophecy and fulfill His will. All of these reports a precursor to the end-time scenario that happens after the rapture. And that rapture actually could happen even today. And having said that, nothing left for me to say except let's keep looking up until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.